Hi. How you doing today? Start us appropriately. Okay. <laughs> my name is Aaron McManus, and you are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. I am here with my father. My name is Erwin McManus, and I am so excited about being here today. And here we are. Are there ever days where you're just like, I don't know if I can do this? I don't know if you were battle ready this morning. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. All Maybe I know is ready for battle, but not ready to do battle. But honestly, ready. <laughs> I was I was ready. I was I was facing some battles this morning. But because we're committed to our listeners, we are here. We are. Because you, know, you work on the days that are good, you work on the days that are bad. But you just don't work on your birthdays. Uh, bad <laughs> days and good days, but not birthdays. All right, we want to know okay. that. Okay. Today we are going to talk about something. Very interesting. Well, it's not really the conversation that you probably would have picked for today, but I can't escape it. I keep thinking about it, and maybe it's my immigration uh, experience as an immigrant from El Salvador and uh, my family's background. But um, when you're a Latin American, you become really aware of those things that become a threat to democracy. And so I want to lay out a scenario, okay, so that no one thinks that I'm being um, hyperbolic or... um, uh, anti-science or anything like that. So I, I want to lay out a scenario going, um, completely believe in the danger of COVID-19, completely um, uh, concerned about the way it impacts, especially the elderly and the vulnerable and um, those who have uh, related health issues that, that make it more dangerous for them. Uh, I, I wear a mask. I, um, in fact, we just made some masks for our entire community at Mosaic. Yeah, they're really cool, actually. They're really, really cool. And we wanted to shout encourage- out to your friend. Oh, oh man, uh, to Tom Penn yeah. and his whole team that made these masks for us with Mosaic logo on it. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. He's an awesome guy. And so, and we know that only really these particular medical masks are effective. And so, we didn't want to make it look like we were trying to protect people, we wanted to protect people. I want, I want to give this as my context because a lot of times when you say something, everyone goes, oh, wait a minute, you're one of them. But there's two things that really concern me I want to talk about, and they're connected to me. One is um, executive order, and the other is censorship. What's happened in 2020 is unprecedented in terms of American history, and it really concerns me. Um, and one of them is the is the use of executive order, not just from the executive branch, but now by states and cities. Uh, I think we were looking at it together. You were showing me that, um, was it FDR? Yes, Franklin Roosevelt. Delano Roosevelt used executive order over 3,700 times. Yeah, it was like just under 36912 or something like that. Oh, so some crazy some number. Crazy number. We're doing the math that he pretty much had an executive order every day for 12 years. Right. And so he was elected four times. Yes. As president, he's the closest we've ever had to. You don't want to say it, but. Well, I mean, I, I you know, obviously I respect, you know, so much what he did. Yes. But, but in terms of, of a long sustaining presidency that other countries might call a dictatorship. Yes. Or kingship. Or kingship or yeah. emperor or something like that. Yeah. And then, of course, I think it was um, Roosevelt who actually decided after his third or fourth re-election <laughs> yeah. to make sure no other president could be real, could be elected that many times. Yeah. And so he's the one that established that two-term. <laughs> he shut it down. He's <laughs> so like, he no one's down. ever going to do this again. But just me. Just Not me. No one yeah. else. And, um, and so he used executive order as the normal power of the presidency. I was, and I just want to go back. I was concerned because it's not even about how many uh, executive orders. I think President Clinton was in the 300s, high 300s, and uh, President Bush was in the high 300s. And, but I was concerned in the last year of President Obama's presidency, he used executive order uh, as a way to circumvent the power of the Senate or the role of the Senate in 
very particular decision-making yeah. um, processes. And It's interesting when we have checks and balances. Right, the checks they and, don't count if you use cash. <laughs> and, and, and so it wasn't even what he was using executive orders for. It was, it was the approach or the strategy that it was being used for. Yes. And I remember in that year saying he needs to be careful because whoever's elected next, because I didn't know if it'd be a Republican or a Democrat, We'll begin with executive orders and see that as the um, the invitation, the door opening. Yes, for it. a perfect tool of the presidency. Right. So it seems to me like when President Trump stepped in, he just began from day one with executive orders. Said, "Oh, you know, we have a mechanism. We don't have to go to the Senate. We don't have to work with the, you know, with the House. We don't, you know, we don't really have to worry about these other branches. I can just execute executive order." And a lot of the stuff that's going on right now was actually predicated by President Obama. And, and others in the past, but yes, yes I yeah, do yeah. think that last year in yeah, his administration had an effect. But here's what my concern, all right, because I'm going, the great thing about uh, presidencies is that they have term limits. And so there's one or two, you know, uh, terms that you get max and we get to vote you in or out. But I feel like we've now moved into a, a, a governmental strategy of executive order. Uh, we live in Los Angeles, which is inside of California. And I, I'm trying to remember when we voted on not wearing a mask being illegal. I'm trying to remember when we voted that not staying six feet apart was illegal. I'm trying to remember when we voted that restaurants should be closed, that um, movie theaters, movie theaters churches, should be closed, that, that churches should be closed, schools. that health clubs should be closed, that schools should be closed. I don't remember voting on any of these things that are now um, the law of the land. And what really struck me the other day is when our governor said that you need to wear a mask when you're in a restaurant in between every bite. <laughs> and I thought, wow, our governor is trying to control the micro actions of our daily lives right now. Yeah. And, and so, okay, so I'm not even raising the issue of is, um, is wearing a mask important or not or is it is it is it significant or not i'm not even raising the issue of the six feet and and every scientist i've read says it's really not six feet it could be 12 feet it could be three feet it, 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 some of it is somewhat arbitrary but there is but there is scientific um or at least statistical evidence for six feet i'm not even arguing any of that what i'm arguing is have we moved Am I going to? No, I just, I'm like want to rip open, but I'm not going to yet because I'm trying to behave. What I'm arguing is, have we established a new precedent for what kind of society we are, where we are no longer a democracy, we are now a political dictatorship, Mm. where um, health is used as the criteria for conformity and obedience and the loss of our freedoms. It's an electoral dictatorship. We elect the dictator. So it, it concerns me because once we establish that. Wait, hold on, hold on. I want to go. We're seven minutes in. My turn now. All right. Um, here we go. Here's the thing. Let's set the stage a little bit. Let's go back. 12 hours ago, the Dodgers made it to the playoffs. And oh, we're so not big baseball people, but we are in the playoffs. And we're huge Dodger fans. And it's a different sport in the playoffs. And we it's, love Cody Bellinger. It's like golf. <laughs> And Mookie Betts, and Justin Turner, (laughs) and Taylor, and Smith, and Jock, and Seeker. All right. And uh, you have to be done? Uh, And 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 the general Is it it Urias? What a legend last night. I'm going to kiss you on the face. Sorry, the general manager is- Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts actually sent me 
a note one time on a text because this of my friend John Gordon. This is not about you right now. Sorry, I just got to say <laughs> shout out to Dave Roberts. He's awesome. And John Gordon, who I sent a <laughs> selfie of us because I was like, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the conversation we were having last night. Um, so we're sitting around, we're watching mm-hmm. the baseball game, and every time it felt like I was dozing off for a second because I was so tired because our good friend got married this weekend, they would hit another home run, and then I'm up and screaming, and I'm waking up <laughs> Edwin's kids and like all these things. But... We made it. We made it to the World Series. I'm so excited. The Houston Astros. If you live in Houston, you don't deserve it. You should give it back. You should send it to LA, and then you should. What? Okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. No, no. Actually, I thought about that yesterday. They should actually default that championship from the Astros. Give it to the Dodgers. They should. They really should. Give Kershaw what he deserves. All give right. Kershaw one of the greatest Dodgers that's ever lived. And if you could. In act with no Kobe blood in him. Executive order. You would force the Astros to give it up. A hundred percent. Wait, I'm gonna get back. I'm gonna get back to it. When I said about Kershaw, it's a joke. I absolutely love Clayton Kershaw. I do not care if he doesn't play well in the playoffs. He is consistent the rest of the season when it's still golf and not baseball. He gets uh, us there. He does get us there, and he deserves the respect that he that he that he that he's gonna get. Here's the thing: um, we're having this conversation. We're talking. And all of these guys, what I love about your friends is they're all like different walks of life. They're all different backgrounds. They're all living in different places. And one of your friends said, on November 1st, I asked him, how long are you in town? And he goes, on November 1st, I am leaving LA and going back to the free world. <laughs> he lives <laughs> in Florida. Yeah, the land of the free. Right. And I was like, oh, that's such an interesting statement because it's very true. And he, we were, he, cause he, he kind of like asked, do you think LA will riot? And when, 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 you know, whoever wins, wins. L.A. will riot if if Trump wins, but will not riot if Biden wins. No, but L.A. will riot if the Lakers win, (laughs) if the Dodgers win. (laughs) They'll riot on a Tuesday. (laughs) L.A. will riot on a Wednesday morning. L.A. is a riot looking for a reason to happen. (laughs) L.A. is, is, it looks for a bonfire anywhere. All right, so back to this is not a joke. It's not a joke, but it, yeah. but if you live in LA, you know that like it just happens, and yeah. it's and it's tough, and it's scary, and there's things that like it is not a joke, but there are things that you kind of just have to accept with the city. So we and have we have people leaving LA, moving to a lot other states like Tennessee and Texas and Florida, states that have different responses to all the issues that are happening in 220, not have, just COVID have, and quarantine, but e- even economics and taxes and other things. We have really good friends moving to Texas right now. Yeah. We love them. They're traitors for leaving us. But no, but we do love them. And then, and then a couple of friends who are moving with them. And, and, and I mean, it's a huge conversation. There's lots of people talking about moving to Texas. There's lots of people talking about moving to Florida, getting out of here. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that we know that have houses somewhere else, they're not here right now. Yeah, They're in Arizona. They're in Texas, wherever it may be. And it does feel like we are in a controlled society right now. In LA, if you are in the middle of America, you kind of have to like step outside of what you're going through because it is actually pretty nuts in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You cannot order a coffee if you don't have a mask. You can't go in somewhere if you don't have a mask. You sit down at a table outside and they give you hand sanitizer before you touch anything. They give you a, you know, electronic menu. Then you have to put your mask on. Then you have to order. And then I, I, I was getting a coffee today and I saw a family of three people. They're sitting outside on a patio having breakfast and they're all wearing their mask and like sneaking food inside of their, I'm going, what? Look, this is the thing. I fully believe there is something going on. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're past that point. Right. It's real. I do think things are getting better. Mm-hmm. Everyone that I know that's gone sick has gone healthier now. We have some people who have passed away. We, we do have some friends who have passed away. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But I think I struggle with it because you are, you are 
in the demographic that would not make it. You've had yeah. s- the systemic lung like lung issues. Yeah. My whole life. Mm-hmm. You survived cancer. Yeah. You were 62. Mm-hmm. You were a very good looking man. But you fit the demo of the person who should not survive. Or is very vulnerable very to vulnerable. COVID-19. It's worse effect. Worse. And I don't think you've gotten sick one time this year. And mm-hmm. so I don't know. Maybe I don't. Anyways, we're going back to it. Go into the executive order stuff. Right. I'm just saying in Los Angeles, it is an uncomfortable situation. People are leaving. People are running away. And, and it's my, tough. What is to stay for if, if you can't see people in the, one of the greatest cities in the world? So my question to you and to your entire generation oh, is... No pressure. <laughs> how much of your freedom are you willing to relinquish for the potential of staying safe? Because it seems to me that we are now using the danger of COVID-19 as a way of shifting the way power is used in our nation. And as a citizen, I want you to pay attention because it's easier to lose power than to get it back. Yes. And if a year from now there's a vaccine that we're told works, and now we're told uh, it is mandated to get the vaccine, and if you don't get the vaccine, you can't get a job, or you can't go into restaurants, or you can't put your kids in school, we are now in a society where we're no longer free. We are now being told what to do at such a micro level. And so I want to just- Micro level. I, I don't know if I can emotionally handle this conversation right now as, as, as I am like slightly freaked out by this reality becoming very true. If you live in Texas, Florida, Missouri, mm-hmm. Mississippi, this is not real for you. Right. In and the th- same way that, yeah. that we're feeling this on the coasts, in that you go outside and it feels like a police state in some areas. Right. And if we have this conversation, immediately you are demonized. You are just thrown into this pit of, yes. of unintelligent or uncaring or yes. uh, unscientific. And so I want to say this right now because uh, if we have to, I want to come back to this Battle Ready podcast a year from now and say, guys, I warned you that we're going to lose freedoms we may never get back as a society. Because now, see, before, remember, it was flatten the curve. It was going to last a few weeks. It was going to last a few months. Then it's going to last a season. Then it's going to last a year. The language now is this is our new reality. So if COVID-19 is our new reality, then is executive order our new reality? Interesting connection. I think you're onto something. And now I'm more afraid than I was 30 seconds ago. And I, I think that we need to pay attention to this, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of your concern about these issues um, concerning the virus. I think we need to have some concerns about how our society is shifting and and how quickly we are willing to give up our freedoms. That's, that was the issue. And I think you voiced that pretty early on to people's uh, discomfort that it wasn't so much about the virus as much as it was our willingness to release our own control over our lives and our own independence and our own freedoms. And it was very quick and very fast mm-hmm. given there, it was very fear-based. It was the only thing you saw on television, social media, the internet, when you walked outside. I mm-hmm. mean, LA went from a packed metropolitan city to traffic to completely empty in a matter of three days. Right. And so what's happening now is that the people who least care about compliance are not complying. What do you and, mean by that? Um, look, you go to LA, people are partying. 
I mean, we went to a wedding reception, <laughs> and and it was private. It was small, but I mean, that restaurant was pumping. And every restaurant in that whole street, the three block radius, was, was packed just, with twenty year olds, jam packed. It was actually nuts. It was not. It was probably more wild than it would have been pre pandemic. Yeah, and what I I thought about this morning was how um, prohibition did not work. Well, you know, I mean, we people try, like to party. We no. We, as a, as a government, we decided prohibition was going to be the law. We're going to stop people from drinking and selling alcohol. Right. And it created the space for the mafia. It created the space for an underground economy where people did what they were going to do illegally. And eventually prohibition flipped. And I, and I, and I, I just look at the economics of this. We've known for years, for decades, that tobacco kills people. I mean, the tobacco industry, if any industry should uh, be locked down, it's the tobacco industry. And yet, we didn't even do anything to stop the tobacco industry from being illegal. And so I'm going, wait a minute. What, but what, but what? you can open that up, right? I'm not advocating for cigarettes. But I'm saying you, you could say that we all drive a gigantic cigarette. Our cars. Our cars. I don't. Mine is electric. Um, <laughs> but we, I mean. So you, I leave no carbon footprint. But... Um, I can't speak for the rest of you. Here's, but, and so here's what I want to just go back to. Okay. Um, your generation has got, is going to have to decide how much of prohibition you're going to allow. You're mm -hmm. going to have to decide um, how much your fear will override your, your desire for freedom. So here's, here's, so here's my question. It feels cigarettes were taxed early. Tobacco was taxed early. It was something that the South farmed mm -hmm. and it was taxed from the very beginning, whereas alcohol became taxed later after the prohibition failed. Right. And now we have weed, cannabis being taxed highly. Mm -hmm. And so now the government allows it. And now we've created a new disaster in which we will be taxed on to have a vaccine because what they'll say is it's free, but nothing's free. Mm -hmm. And we should actually talk about that. That's actually a really good thing that we should segue right. into, like, because I think we've gotten some 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 blowback from conference not being free, from mm -hmm. our mosaic conference not being free, and people like hitting. I I I went into your account and deleted it from your DMs, but there was someone blowing me up during the World Series thing and tagging us, and I just didn't want to ruin your night. Mm -hmm. And some kid who like who who went to mosaic and was like ripping us for like you know during covid every mega church is like their their conference is free and you guys are charging and tagging us and tagging every and tagging you tagging me tagging joe smith and we we're all in the same room and i saw it so i was like deleted it from yours because i just was like i'll tell you later and i'm telling you now sorry but I mean, what i would say is um the conference is free for everyone who cannot afford it right but for anyone who's acts entitled like that I would just give anything for it not to be free well, for them. This was the interesting thing because I DM'd them because <laughs> I, I want all of it. I want the smoke. And so I DM'd him and I said this because he posted like six or seven mm -hmm. other things. And not only did he post the six or seven other things, he started reposting what other people were DMing him about Mosaic. Mm -hmm. So um, this guy. So I said this. I said, one, the, his last post on his Instagram was, there is no us, there is no us versus them. There is only us. And so I commented, you should really read this before you come at my family on Instagram. <laughs> and then I, I sent him a DM because he had sent me like all this stuff mm -hmm. and tags and all these things. I said, did you bring, you said you called us your family. You came to Mosaic for three years. Did you bring this up with your family before going to IG? Because I knew that on the conference website, there right. was, if you can't afford it, like shoot us an email and we'll like right. give it to you for free. And then I said, who was, is your campus pastor, so that's leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And then I said, if you had a problem with us, if we had a problem with you, would right. we post about you or would we, would we go to you? Right. And then he said something really like rude back. Keep asking yourself that, Pastor Aaron. <laughs> genuinely, a- I said, I'm genuinely asking you because it seems like you've already made your decision to not engage in real conversation. And we moved on. But this is, this is my point of like, nothing is free, right? Everything costs somebody something. Yeah. So if you're getting for free, someone else paid for it. For sure. Nothing like that. Like us doing the conference is not free. Right. Us using the hosting, us doing the, the work, us shooting, us having to pay for things, having to, to, to do X, Y, Z is not free. Okay. You just added the third aspect to the conversation today what? that I wasn't going to go to, but I think it's really important. Okay. Because one of them is the executive order, the okay. loss of our personal freedoms because of fear. Yes. The second one is censorship, the inability to argue or disagree. Yes. And the third one is entitlement. Mm. And if I wanted to create a formula for how to move toward a totalitarian socialist culture, yeah, um, this is it. 100%. So I'm just going to throw this out, yeah. okay? And I'm going to get myself in all kinds of heat. No, it's fine. And so first of all, I would say, uh, I do not want our governor to be able to use executive order. I want, I want him to advocate for position and let us vote. I want that for my mayor too. Uh, recently, I heard our mayor, Garcetti, say he was explaining homelessness in LA, which is out of control. It's a, it's a massive crisis. And, I, and I'm watching this and he said, you need to understand that when the economy is good, homelessness goes up. Mayor Garcetti. Said, and when the economy Garcetti. is bad, homelessness goes down. Google this. And so I'm listening to this going, so what you're telling us is the only strategy to combat homelessness is to have a bad economy. Yeah. And, and I, I, so I'm, I'm really worried about us creating a governmental system where thought is no longer challenged and that's the power of voting is that we get to challenge thinking so Keep going so my first thing is executive order going um we need to pay attention to how our mayors our governors our our presidents are using executive order i don't care if it's a republican or a democrat um we have a process and even now when they're talking about expanding the supreme court that's that's essentially a magnification of executive order being used by the senate now controlling the supreme court and what we're going to find is the decay of the balance of power that has actually fundamentally helped this nation are they talking about progress. expanding the supreme court uh, if, um, if if she if, wins if, if or if she gets no if if, if um, what's her name oh sorry. amy barrett yeah if, amy barrett if sorry. amy barrett's nominated yes. and Biden is not elected. They're talking about expanding the Supreme Court. So I don't care which side you're on. You uh, need to realize that we're uh, we're actually moving toward a construct that says we're going to find a way to overpower and we're going to use our power to dictate our positions but, and and we're mo- we're going to move away from a democracy. But can we can we just theorize for a second? If they expand the Supreme, if Amy Barrett gets voted in, if it's voted in, right? Gets approved. Approved. Yeah. Tr- Trump wins election and they expand the Supreme Court, wouldn't there just be another conservative on the Supreme Court? Well, it's whatever power you steal, you will live with the consequence of someone stealing it later. And that's why I would say whatever you do, just realize the backlash of it is going to come back no, around. I'm asking, like, would, yes. would, it, would essentially that would be what would happen? Or are they basically saying we'll gridlock everything so that it cannot happen? Well, I think what, well... Um, I'm confused. I haven't heard about this, so I need to do yeah. some more research, and then we can talk. About, I can talk about more with you later. Yeah, no, it, it's it, it's really just a strategy of saying if we can't win within the rules we have, we're going to create new rules. Yes, that's really what's happening. Yes, and and part of the problem is um, we're creating new rules that move us toward uh, dictatorial leadership. Yes, and that concerns me. The second thing is censorship. I want to kind of go over here. All right, and I know I'm kind of like. 
uh, I'm I'm a little heated today, even though I'm heated. acting very calm. Which is good because I kind of needed a, a I needed a more chill one for me. <laughs> so I'm glad you're really taking this one. Uh, censorship's bothering me. It is okay. Uh, now remember, this is the country that felt that um, that Rush Limbaugh deserved the right to speak. And um, who's the shock jock? Um, Who? Yell it. Howard Stern. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. No, that, no, 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 no. This Not is this is the society that, that that decided that both Rush Limbaugh, right, and Howard Stern, right, had the right to say whatever they wanted. And that's how we got XFM. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, okay. here's a great thing. You don't ever have to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and you never have to listen to Howard Stern, but you can if you want to. Right. And you might even you can even listen to both of them if you want. That's the amazing thing about this country. That's becoming less and less true. It isn't true anymore. And I, I wanted to highlight just one thing. It's just one of many things. Uh, because I was reading yesterday about how in um, somewhere in the Midwest, I, I don't have the details, there is a, a group that f- works against domestic violence. And they decided to put a Black Lives Matter um, sign up on in their different um, d- domestic abuse centers. Right. And suddenly they were getting defunded because they supported Black Lives Matter. But... And by Wait, where were they? And being defunded by the police department. But, and the reason I bring that one up is because I want to bring this one up. So I, I don't want anyone to think, oh, I'm just taking one side. Right, right, it's right. It's happening on both sides. Yeah. But here, but this one really struck me because it's so dramatic. All right. Because one of the phrases in 2020 is you need to trust the science. You need to trust the science. You need to believe in the science. You need to believe in the science. You need to listen to the science. Who is science? I know. I'm going like That's science is a person, out. right? This is, but this has been a joke we've had for a long time. And people yeah. quote science. We're like, who is science? <laughs> Please tell us who science is. Yes. So bring it. So there is a a guy, a man named Michael Levitt. Uh Uh-oh. He's a Stanford professor of biophysics. Great school. He has a Cambridge PhD and DSC. He's the 2013 chemistry Nobel laureate for complex systems. Wow. Uh, He's an uh, FRS and U.S. National Academy member. And he was invited to speak at a conference on computational biology and biodesign. Both disciplines are based on his work, his research. And he's canceled. He was canceled as a keynote speaker because he holds different views about COVID than the accepted line in our public agenda. Interesting. So he is canceled as a speaker. He wasn't going to speak about COVID. He was going to speak about computational biology and biodesign. But other speakers, and several of them are speakers I'm familiar with from the TED conference, they complained to the event and said, if he speaks, we will not speak. Wow. So I'm like, okay. We are, uh, we are in the middle of this. Right. So like, this I'm is like, real. This is very real. We, right. are, we are in it now. It's beyond cancel culture. It's actually a shift of what you were able. It's a censorship. It's a censorship. It, yeah. is the, it is the removal of freedom of speech. Right. So if I say or something about the freedom about to be honest. Right. Yes. If I say something that disagrees with, with uh, who, or and by the way, who just changed its mind about quarantines, but that's a side note. Uh, if I say something about the CDC or who or right. science, you might go, Hey, Erwin McManus, you don't know anything. You don't, you're not a scientist, you know. Right. And, uh, but if I actually won the, the Nobel laureate in 2013, if I'm a Stanford professor in biophysics and a Cambridge PhD and, and DSC, and I have a different view of the information, of the science, and I'm coming up with different conclusions, even if you disagree with me, I should be allowed to give my perspective. And what concerns me is that 
we have we now have these technological um, algorithms that can weed out everyone who disagrees. Hmm. And so here, here's the thing. Here's my question. Okay, first one, executive order. No, I, I am against executive order as a, as, as a principal mechanism for governing. I believe in democracy. I think people should be able to vote on every issue possible. Secondly, I do not agree in cens- with censorship. I think that you should be allowed to speak your mind no matter how stupid, ignorant, or incorrect you are. <laughs> that, that a part of what makes this country... Um, what rare and unique is that we are allowed to protest and disagree and debate, and we can debate about the science as well. And, and I'm concerned because now we have censorship is now conformity. If you do not conform to the agreed upon narrative, if you have any other kind of um, perspective on the data, not opinion, even if you're an expert and you disagree, you no longer are allowed to speak. And I, I, I want to come back to this a year from now or five years from now, because if we're living in a society that's now dictated through executive order, and if we're living in a society where censorship is now the norm, and suddenly you find yourself on the wrong side of the conversation, I want you to remember that we talked about this, because if you're a conservative and you use censorship... One day, liberals will use the censorship on you. And if you're a liberal and you think, oh, censorship is our best strategy for this moment, I'm telling you, one day there's going to be backlash and conservatives are going to censor you. What do we need to do to get liberals and conservatives to trust in the power of their own ideas enough and in the intelligence of the American people enough to let there be open dialogue, open conversations, stop censoring people, stop telling us what to do, and let us make our own decisions based on the information that's out there. Yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think everything you're saying is valid. Everything you're saying is terrifying. Everything you're saying is something we talk about quite often. And even though we haven't quite talked about this, we both had thoughts about this last night when we talked on the drive home and we were, and we were laughing about a few things. Then you walked in, you're like, let's talk about this. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. I, I do think more than ever, you are unable to be who you are in every arena, not just in a political landscape, but whether it's in faith or church or school or family, different cultures, different family sets, systems, you have different expectations. What, at what point in our life will we get to the place where we stop not having no expectation for each other, but going, the expectations that we have are not the primary focus of your life. Because what I do end up thinking is that we create this unhealthy pressure on each other to not just mandate to believe what I believe, but to live up to something that I see you as. And, and, and to some degree, that is, it is healthy to have goals and expectations and standards and, and to understand achievements. But what you're saying about that man, Michael Levitt, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Levitt, was that yeah, his name? That's his name. That it does not matter what you achieve if, if you don't conform, you're gone. You're thrown away. There, he could have no more achievements under his belt to deserve 15, 20 minutes of a lecture 
at a conference, but because he believes in something different. And I do think that's the interesting thing about the world right now, because in the 70s, not that the 70s were like the highlight of our country's <laughs> era, like the era of our highlight, of our, the 70s were not the highlight, but it was an era of believing something different, of searching, of finding, of exploring. And a lot of it was unhealthy, but at least it was in a direction of no judgment. And I feel like now we're in this place where it feels very police state. Mm-hmm. It fe- like the same people who <laughs> fight the police, mm-hmm. defund the police, are becoming the police. Yeah, And that to me is scary. Yeah, even where we live, the woman across the street from our house yes. would text your mom, my wife, Kim, and say, did I just see someone show up at your house? It, most of the time it was me. She, was, she would be texting going, Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I, it, you just, you just, you, you have too many people in your house right now. And Kim would go, um, "This is who I have." Or, and then finally, Kim started saying, "Hey, how about this? You don't police me. I don't police you." And what's so funny is that this woman would have a masseuse come almost every single day to her house. Yeah, had a they chef. had chefs coming to their house every day. Nannies. Because uh, she uh, finally appealed to your mom saying, well, you know, I had a miscarriage. And, you know, Kim felt so terrible. She goes, what yeah. can I do? What can I, who can I send you? And she goes, oh, no, I have health care. I have everybody here. And all of a sudden we realized she has so many people come to her house. But the best way to not get caught is to turn other people in. And that's what's going to happen to our society. This is what happened in the Czech Republic. And and when the... Um, after the Velvet Revolution, when the Soviet Union finally, yeah, um, it was, w- you know, was, um, was pushed back, and it was brothers turning in brothers, it was they realized pastors were turning in pastors, and members were turning in members, and family members were turning in family members, and uh, do we want to become this kind of police state where we're policing each other based on our actions? And um, and and I'm I'm concerned. It, it feels I think to, to most people who are listening, they're going, "This is this can't be real. This can't be true." But the moment that we're I think quite like uh, global warming mm-hmm. when everyone 20 years ago was like, there's no way, there's mm-hmm. no way we're good. The world, the world is so big. And now we realize we're like, okay, no, no, we're in a, we're in a place now in, in our world, in our environment where we realize that all of the fossil fuels, all the emissions, yeah. we are now at the place where we were 20 years ago with global warming that we are with this political reform, this mm-hmm. police state that if we do not actually and i don't know what the action steps are mm-hmm. but we have to change the culture it's got to affect the culture and then it's got to change the politics and then mm-hmm. as a society we have to take um i don't want to say control because it feels so aggressive but i mean we have to take responsibility for our own actions our own voting mm-hmm. our own procedures and not letting politicians whoever they are left or right decide for us by executive order or mandates locally on a local government that will restrict our freedoms. Mm-hmm. And it does not matter what political party you believe in, although I do think both main political parties have scary areas, mm-hmm. right? And and I we're at a place now that if we do not acknowledge that this is, we're 10 years away, 15 years away, 20 years away, maybe five years away from a space where we are going to be in such a place of fear that America will not be the land of the free. It will be the land of the, the, I don't know what would be, the, the, I don't even know a second, a second phrase to even compare it to. Yeah, to me, what's amazing is that basically we have a situation where we have unhinged versus entrenched. Hmm. And what, do you mean, what do you mean by that, though? Uh, like people are voting against Donald Trump because he's unhinged. Yes. Uh, I mean, he, he just can't seem to filter himself on Twitter. He just can't seem to uh, avoid saying things that are antagonistic. Um, 
uh, volatile at times. Volatile, uh, just out of touch with human empathy. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. And then you have entrenched. I, I mean, I, I look at. I mean, Joe Biden has been working in Washington for almost fifty years. I do not like that, though. And no, I don't. What I'm saying is that I do not believe anyone in your generation would actually be voting for entrenched except they're voting against unhinged. Yes. And and I'm looking, I'm going, I don't trust lifelong politicians. I'm sorry. That just isn't the way I'm designed psychologically or the way I see the world. And so it concerns me. And, um, and then when you have lifelong politicians now moving into an environment where executive order seems to be the easiest way to get things done. And we're talking about restructuring the balance of power, which tells me, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've never known anyone, anyone in history who had the opportunity to restructure the balance of power and didn't take power. So I'm not really confident in government's ability to decentralize power. And then and we need to move to the third area, which is entitlement. And I, I think that a part of the challenge that we have right now is we've had 10 months where people have been furloughed, uh, moved to unemployment, have uh, been working part-time from home, um, have, have gotten uh, at least some supplemental paychecks to help them. And I hear an, a tidal wave of conversations of people who just don't want to go back to work, of people who are not interested in going back to, quote, normal, where they went to a business or a company or a building and did their job. And I hear a lot of people saying, well, why can't we work from home forever? As if businesses- You have CEOs saying that. I think that's the, that's the biggest issue is all the tech giants for the most part have said, well, we'll never see you again, work from home. And in tech companies, I guess that will work, right? Really, yeah, really well. To some degree. And, and here's my point is that if that works best for a company, that makes sense. But if that becomes the new normal society saying, um, we don't really want to go back to work. And what, what spurred this in my mind is I, I was listening to different speakers and I heard AOC um, make a statement about they think you being free is you having to go back to work. And when I heard that, I thought, yes. See, a huge part of my freedom is my right to go back to work. I do not see work as forced labor on my life. I see work as a privilege and a responsibility and an opportunity. And going back to the guy, I'm assuming it was a guy who was upset about the conference. And what's- Wait, hold on. AOC is single-handedly destroying her district. Just so, just so that's clear. And if you don't know who she is, you should Google her. And not what the left says about her, but what she's actually done, especially with the Amazon deal that she blew for right, her Right, the district. Amazon deal is would have brought 100,000 jobs to her district. Right, but that's not the solution. And what do you mean that's not the solution? To from bring, her philosophy. From her philosophy. Philosophy. <laughs> from her philosophy, it's everyone doesn't need to work, they get paid. Yeah. And right. by the way, they it's, get a not, stipend. They're taking it's not care. singular to her. Several years ago when I was at the TED conference, I remember one of the speakers spoke and he said that he was advocating for a universal minimum wage where everyone gets a salary, whether they work or not. But, in, in and, and this is the tough thing because it's a great ideal. It's a great ideal. It's a great but ideal. But I don't even think, 
you're you're a better human being. I don't even think it's a great ideal. I think because this is the thing. I like in internally. Mm-hmm. I like I would love universal health care. I would love everyone to make a base salary. I think that I think that there are things that we could do better in our society. Things that are like like natural gases. When people are like when singular people are making billions and like so much like like god level money <laughs> on gas like uh, like fossil fuels that are in our earth mm-hmm. like that that should go to like fun schools and like f- I do believe that I do really do believe that but I also really do believe that if that guy found the oil then it's his and he can take it and sell it and figure out how to do something like I'm on both sides and that's where it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't match up well well where it concerns me okay is the effect on human drive yes that if everyone gets whatever twenty five thirty five thousand dollars a year Let's just go base. up I'm not, okay fifty my life what do you guys say <laughs> 75,000 is what it takes to be happy. I wonder what it is in Sweden. It's like, um, I think it's like a salt. I think it's like 45 to 50,000 in Sweden. 75,000 is supposed to be the cutoff of happiness. That, that if right. you make any above 75,000, it doesn't really increase your happiness very much. Uh, but it isn't about happiness. It's also about productivity. Some people need to have more than $75,000 a year because they will do more with that money. They'll be more productive. They'll create more jobs. And I think the problem is that we have the static view of economics, that you give a person money and then they get to live on it. You give one person $75,000 and they will live on $75,000. You give another person $75,000, they're going to live on $25,000, invest $50,000 and come out with $1.2 million. No matter how you start, if you create an economy or an environment where people um, can create their future based on their ambition and their intention, their discipline, their determination, and uh, and their ability. Uh, you, know ironic, not re- you know what's ironic about this episode? What's that? We talked about free speech and censorship, and you censored me. <laughs> yes, I did. Because we you asked are, me. We own the reality. Because you, we are in the new because reality. Because you asked you me in the first episode, hey, if I say something you think I'll regret later, to protect you. Okay. Okay. I censored myself. My bad. Is that the argument for the I don't know. Never mind. Is that the argument? Is that the argument for is that the argument for the for for the left with the vaccine? We're protecting the world. We pay you to protect us, and so now you're protecting us. Okay, so so this is very interesting. No, this is interesting. But I would say let's say this because we're not gonna play what I said about AOC because it was rude. Especially the way I said it with such disdain. Mm-hmm. I do not agree with her politics. I don't really like her as, a, as a, a politician. I don't know her as a person. But we're going back. And what I said, and I referred back to the, the clip that we cut out, is mm-hmm. that you censored me on an episode about censorship. Yes, I did. And so, and hey, then, guys, what, so you're not hearing everything that was said. No. It's because I censored what Aaron said. And yeah. so did our team. We have kind of a group think here. And <laughs> <laughs> Brian and, is fired up and ready to go. Too. And, and, <laughs> and, and even though, um, and I think it was mixed. Some people would disagree with what, what you said, and some would have disagreed with how you said it. And so here's the thing. We have to learn how to say things with a level of respect, even if we don't change what we say. But I... But I didn't critique her as a person. No, you I didn't. But what you said a, could have been interpreted as a very, and that very is the negative. problem <laughs> of the state in which we live in. Yes. Because if I say LeBron James is a trash basketball player, but he's won how many championships now? Four? With three different teams in 10 years? That isn't true. But when I lose 100,000 jobs for my district, but I want everyone to get a stipend and live on welfare, essentially, or an elevated welfare. Mm-hmm. That is me critiquing the way that she gets to her desired outcome, which I'm like, I don't know that she's been in politics long enough to have a healthy desired outcome, to have seen longevity in which she wants to create, in the world in which she wants to create. Well, I, I try to take people um, with 
from what they say and and to treat their position respectfully and i am googling right now and so my perspective is that she believes socialism is the best future for america would would you say that's fair brian yeah and and (sighs) so so like if you call a person a socialist who isn't one that's actually like when I would call you a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when you call me a socialist. Okay, yes, and uh, that can be insulting, or you're trying to stereotype yes. a person. Yes. But if someone says I'm a socialist, and then it's um, it's not unfair, nor is it demeaning to say that person is a socialist because they believe that that's the, fo- the philosophy or ideology that works best. And what I'd say is like, and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and talk about this more in the months and months to come. Okay, uh, because. Um, the issue for me is about entitlement that when you feel you deserve things you did not work for or you did not earn just by the fact that you exist and so and and part of me is like if you want to check out cash out at 75 grand a year mm-hmm. give it to them but mm-hmm. give the rest of it to everyone else who's willing to take nothing but invest everything mm-hmm. and build does that make sense? Yeah. Like, if you want security, take it. I want the high risk. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there isn't that, like, if we lived in a world where, like, okay, if I need the 75000 this is what I need to live and feed my family, amazing, take it. But but all of the other stuff on the table, mm-hmm. the stuff that you don't see that we're going to figure out how to turn into a product or turn into a, a new reality, mm-hmm. you don't get any of that. Right. Does that make sense? Like, if, if we lived in that world, red pill, blue pill... Mm-hmm. I'm in. Right. And, and it just rhymes to something else AOC said. She said, I don't, we don't want their, I don't want their money. I want their power. And t- speaking about like Bill Gates and Steve Who Jobs. Who was the other per- last other person that, that said that? Darth Vader? Is that Darth <laughs> Vader that said that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, but here's, here's my point on this. You see, I, I, I'm, maybe this is a part of me that I'm going to make it really relate to my, my life. You feel so uncomfortable right now. Oh, no, we're, but, we're I, 50, but, I, what? but I think this is so important. It is very important. Also, this dialogue is important. Yeah. I was in a room one time years and years ago okay. with pastors. Mm. And uh, <laughs> well, we know where this is going now. <laughs> and, I can, and I can tell you what pastors were not in the room. Okay. The ones they were all criticizing. They were all speaking badly about three or four of the pastors whose churches were largest and most impactful right. in the world. Yeah. And they were... Uh, and it was so easy because every one of them felt a, a sense of worth by demeaning the other pastors. And I remember I, I finally interjected because I was incredibly uncomfortable. And I said, hey, guys, why can't we just accept the fact that they're more gifted than us? Hmm. Why can't we just accept the fact that maybe they're more effective leaders than us? They've taken more risks than us. They've been more courageous than us. Why do we have to try to demean them and bring them down beneath us so that we feel better about ourselves? Yeah. See, I, I've always, and because, well, see, in the world I'm in, people go, why can't every church be 50 people? Right. Why do you have to have a church of 5,000 or a church of 10,000 or a church of 20,000? And I keep telling them, look, you put a person with a unique gift set with 10 people and they'll have 1,000 people in a year. You put a person without that, that gift and talent set a year later, those 10 people will still be those 10 people, or maybe there won't even be 10. And and we've tried to start smaller churches, and they grow. And they grow. And, and, but I want to say yes. this real quick. Uh, this also, I think, correlates to the conversation we are having earlier. A part of our cri- the criticism with the entitlement was that it, it was the comparison of your conference isn't free, but every other megachurch's conference is. Yeah. Our, the perception of Mosaic is that we're a megachurch. Mm-hmm. But we're really not. No, we have we have yeah. a we have a. I hate the word mega. I think it's so old. Yeah. Uh, except for Megatron, that's the classic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we have a, a mega influence. Do you, like we yeah. haven't we have an unequal influence to our size. But we don't uh, we don't own one single piece of property. Right. We don't own a single piece of property. And the other call it was well you got five million dollars from the community. Yeah, three of them was from three million of the five was from two people. So that that's one thing. But the other thing was that five million doesn't even buy you a house in our neighborhood. <laughs> like in this neighborhood where Hollywood's at, yeah. you can buy a one you can buy probably a two bedroom like house for five million. Like you you it is so insanely expensive to scale. So our influence is so far beyond right? right. Beyond scale, like scaling up beyond these megachurches for the size that we are in. And so you look at like, you know, we were talking about a twenty million building project and these megachurches are going, Yeah, you'll do it. Easy. We do it all the time. You like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And but it was hard for us to go like we have the we have the influence, we don't have the size. And yeah. then you go to the entitlement side. Yeah, and that whole conversation is an entitlement conversation because it's interesting. The the two or three people who actually gave a huge amount of money, uh, they've never asked for anything for free. They don't even come to church come, on Sundays. They don't even come here because they they gave it for others, not for themselves. Yes. And so when and, people call us out yeah. for being a profit based church, I'm like, if you did it, if it wasn't for your relationships, Mosaic would 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 be a very like underfinanced church yeah and if it wasn't honestly for times where we went to the bank got a line of credit on our house we meaning you and my mom personally that's right kim and i had to go not just once uh take money out of the bank get a line one time we had to get a line of credit um on our house to make up a hundred thousand dollar deficit just to keep the church uh, functioning and uh, we never went public on things like that. We just did it all those years. So when someone says, oh, you have all this money going, you don't know how much we sacrificed and invested. Mosaic has not been for us a, a financial um, benefit. It has been a place where we've invested and given our lives. And But the whole point of that is that... that Wait, I want to say one more thing, yeah. because I think that needs to be highlighted. So when people call Mosaic out for being a profit-based church, or why do you sell everything? Why do you charge? Because we did, because when I came back from New York City, we made a decision. We are not going to be the broke church anymore. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if you cannot afford it, to anyone who has ever asked, mm -hmm. I've, we have always gotten them in. Yeah. In Do fact, anyone, you were upset that it didn't have a, a and, free option. And I was mad. And now I'm yeah. more mad because that guy will think we did it because of him. Right. And I I hope he doesn't come back because I don't want that spirit. Right. You know what I mean? If he comes back and apologizes, sure. But but that was the whole point of why we charge for things, because we actually believe that this is, there's a value connected to it. And it's about not creating a culture of entitlement. Yes. It's about recognizing the value of things and and helping a generation understand that it shouldn't be free but not only that it shouldn't be free it should be so overtly financed by people so generous and sacrificial that it goes not just for the few that can afford it but for everyone else in the world mm -hmm. the conversation should not be $40 for a conference it's going to be 12 hours it's gonna, or like 8 hours of like actually changing your life 
It should be about the millions and millions of dollars to get this on television, to sp- spread this around the world. Why isn't this on every single thing? If they can put a Jay-Z album on every Samsung phone, why shouldn't an MSC album or messages from you that will actually bring life change to people be at the same caliber in which the rest of the world sees everything else? But because we're so small-minded, because we're so worried about this smallest portion. And you know what? If you're going through financial trouble, 100%, I, this, is not, this is not the point. Because I was mad that it wasn't free. You we were said, mad it wasn't free. You wanted it to be free for so many people. For so, I'm like, if you can't afford it, we trust you. Yeah. Let it be free. And then we did 40 and 80 because we said, you know what? Like, if you can pay and you want to know the value we're setting this at, yeah. 40 and 80. Yeah. But we don't even monitor that. <laughs> we don't even monitor it. You can, you can not tell us the truth. Right. And the whole point for me is that we're moving toward an entitlement culture and I see this as a, a systemic, um, toxic perspective toward life, where the government should give me this, the church should give me this, society should give me this. And, uh, and, and the reality is that um, in a free society, the best thing you're given is opportunity. And if you can get opportunity, you've been given a great gift. Mm. And that's why people from all over the world are trying to come here. That's why Trump's trying to build a wall, because there are millions of people who are trying to come into this country, because this is a country with incredible opportunity. Which I would love to, I would love to do a whole episode on that, because I was in Mexico, in Puerto Vallarta two weeks ago. And it's and like whenever they meet an American, they're like, oh, how's the wall going? <laughs> because they, they're like, it's so, they're like, it's the dumbest, like only Americans think that the wall is tra- keeping Mexican people out. Yeah, it's, it's like a piece of like we are own, we are so manipulated by our own politics. Yeah, both on the left and the right. So this isn't, but like, right. but when you go to Mexico and they're like, oh, that's funny. Like, no, we fly there. We don't. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? It's a, it was such an interesting perception and perspective from other people. Yeah. But keep going. I'm sorry. We got to wrap. No, this so up. I think this we got to wrap it up. Yeah. So I'm just gonna say uh, I want to. Uh, this is a time capsule conversation. I have concerns about Bury executive this. order living a uh, living in a country where. Uh, dictatorship becomes the common um, replacement for democracy. Um, censorship, where we're no longer able to give dissenting views and um, our society begins to filter things out based on what agrees with the government. And that scares me. And to be really honest, this may not make it on iTunes. This may not make it on Google. This may not make it on Twitter. This may not make because it on Because we could get censored. 100%. And then the third thing is entitlement. That... Um, I wish, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna throw this out, even though it should be at the end, that we had taken those multi-trillion dollars that we use to give people supplemental income during the layoffs. I wish we had taken three trillion dollars and financed everyone over 60 years old and everyone who's vulnerable and said, we're going to take care of you. We're going to give you a salary and income. You're going to make sure you have a place to live. You have food. You can pay your mortgage. You can pay your rent. And we're going to make sure you have all the health care necessary. Everyone else, go to work and live your life. I think those trillions of dollars would have better been better spent focused on the elderly and the vulnerable rather than giving everyone short-term uh, a short-term Band-Aid for an economy that's in ruins now. And, um, and we need to step back and rethink. And if we do not allow conflicting conversations, we can't get to a higher level of thinking. I wish they'd given two trillion to everyone 60 above, which they'd given one trillion to Bezos and said, anything that you make plus this, we're going to give back to the, we're going <laughs> to seed money for the future of tech 
and education and uh, automobile innovation and and spaceships and all the things because we, we we make such a bad investment in our own selves at times that I wonder if you what would you do if like Amazon ran the post office because have you tried to order something from the post office or gone to the DMV in the last like ten years it's 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 like trying to find a dollar bill in a tornado <laughs> well the first cultural step toward entitlement is class warfare. And so if you gave a billion dollars to Bezos, you would be violating this view of entitlement. Right. And I think it's exciting when you, when you think about that nothing is able to hold back innovation, creativity, ingenuity. And if there's a disproportionate benefit of wealth, um, hey, let's work on that. But let's not create a society where we convince everyone you deserve what you don't work for. Yeah. And let's let's create a society where we go, everyone deserves the right to create their best life and the best opportunities to make that happen. And I want that kind of world going forward. Anyway, I know this has been controversial. Please. Uh, this has been controversial with me and you. Like, we're going to have to have a conversation after this conversation about are we good? Yeah. <laughs> are we good? Are we okay? No, we're good. Oh, we're good. He said, no, we're good. <laughs> well, he tells the truth in the first the first word. Can I do the, the, the formalities? Yes, please. Okay. If you've been listening to this, we are so grateful that you've stuck with us the whole time. We have some new merch. I said it was dropping Friday. We didn't get the samples back till today. We'll shoot some photos. We'll put it on the website. You got my we battle have a, ready? We have, a, we have a battle ready crew neck. We have a battle ready hat. I'm wearing it right now. We have a battle ready shorts because in LA you wear shorts year round. So <laughs> probably going to throw a long sleeve up as well. These are great Christmas gifts. You know, this is just something fun that we get to like put out and kind of do. And so if you're listening to the podcast, you want to be a part of um, what we're building here. Um, you can go on earlmcmanus.com and you can buy the merch starting probably tomorrow. And even though getting battle ready is free to the listener, yeah, it costs a lot of money to make battle ready happen. Definitely. So <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. I feel awkward now. Uh, you can rate and review us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can watch us on YouTube. And there's a few other things you can do as well. Uh, you can go to the Battle Ready Podcast Instagram, at Battle Ready Podcast. There's a link tree in there, and you can see all the different places that we, that we sell merch and all the things we do. And also, just thank you so much for being a part of it. Um, on emails, I am behind. My best friend got married. He had a bachelor party the weekend before. He got married this weekend. It has been a full-time job. I love him. He's gone. He's flown the coop. He's been my roommate for four years. Matt Pagan, we love you. And I will get back to the emails this and week. And Sammy Pagan, we love you too. Sammy Pagan, we do love you. We do love you. Hey, buddy, this has been fun. It has been fun. I hope you don't get too many I hate DMs and emails and texts. I'm sure they're coming. All right. All <laughs> right, until the next battle ready. Uh, permission to disagree. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, take care, guys.